we have seen things looking up. If you look at the end of chapter two for a second, remember we did a little Rocky music. How many of you remember the Rocky music? And, and back uh, was coming Ruth now and she, she, had got, she had gleaned some stuff. Actually, it had been a real blessing. And, and here's the end of chapter two. It says, and so she stayed close by the maids of Boaz, 2.23, in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest, we're talking about springtime now, and the wheat harvest around the time of Pentecost, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So there they are. She has the opportunity to continue to glean, and things are looking up. We move into chapter three. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, that is Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security? If you have the ESV, it's rest. If you have the NIV, it's a home. Shall I not seek for you rest or a home for you, that it may be well with you. If you have an NIV, it says, where you will be provided for. Now Naomi says, okay, we've, there's been a great turn of events here, but now I really would like for you to find a place of rest. Home is a place of rest. I was listening to Ravi Zacharias this morning, and um, he was talking about the death of his mother, that she died at 57. <laughs> And he said it was very difficult for him. And he kept saying, she's gone. And he kept saying, you know, the, uh, his father had asked him to speak at the service. And he said, I don't know if I can do that. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone. And finally, the Lord impressed upon Ravi's heart, gone where? You need to add a word to she's gone. Gone where? You see, the Bible says to be absent from the body. This is the literal language is to be at home with the Lord. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for his bride. That's what you are. He is, he is preparing a home for you. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. I said something, you know, I stole it from somebody else. I've been hearing it bounce around the church. Church, I said it, I think, Wednesday night or the one before. I said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Just think about that for a second. It'll, it'll sink in. Look, none of us are trying to rush our exit from this planet, but we all know unless Jesus comes in our lifetime, the way we're going to end up in heaven is through death. And so she says, I want you to find rest now. You're a young woman, and you know, you and I could maybe hang out for the next decade, but this is not the best of all scenarios. I want to find a home for you. I want you to have a husband. Originally, when we saw the first part of this story in chapter one, uh, Naomi was so beat up by the devastation and loss, and they were in the land of Moab, that she told her two daughters to stay there. In essence, she said, you'll have an easier time finding a husband here than you will if you go with me. I'm not exactly swimming in the blessings if you haven't noticed. And so Orpah, literally, her name means to turn the neck left. She went back to Moab. She went back to the things that she was used to, the comfortable things, and back to the gods of her people, which was Chemosh and others, which were pagan gods. But Ruth said, no, I'm going with you. Where you live, I'm gonna live. Where you die, I'm gonna die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. A beautiful statement of faith. And now as the story unfolds, we see that rest is around the corner. Sometimes when we come to Jesus Christ, you know, we get the idea that 
uh, life is just going to be easy street. And sometimes we hear preachers say, just come to Jesus and pretty much all your problems are going to be solved. And then some of you have come to Jesus and you had more problems than you've ever had before. And you're like, hey, was there some fine print I didn't read here? What, what exactly is going on? Well, what's going on is we're in a battle. The enemy wants to keep you distracted from true rest. But the battle belongs to the Lord. And now these women, you know, they've gone through difficulty and struggle. The word rest, look at verse 1, is a Hebrew word which means a condition of rest or a place of rest. Have you found a place of rest? Are you resting in Jesus Christ? The Bible has two big themes for rest. The rest of creation, when God was finished creating, he what? He rested on the seventh day, and he sanctified that day. And the second rest that the Bible teaches is the rest of redemption. There's the rest of creation. God was finished with what he made, and he saw everything was good, and he rested on the seventh day. And the rest of redemption is now what is offered to the people of God. Redemption is now complete in the sense that your sins been paid for, and now we can enter into the finished work of Christ and rest. You don't have to strive to be saved. Salvation is a gift from God. Amen? We, but we do have to do something, and that is to enter into his rest. And so here is Naomi with a heart for um, her daughter-in-law, and, and here's what it is. She says, I want to find a place of rest for you. I think all of us as parents... You know, we, when we think about our kids, we want them to find a place where they're at peace. We want them to find a home and a security when they're at peace. And in the ancient world, parents were very much involved in arranging marriages. How many of you think that should return? All the parents raised up their hands. All the young people are like, no, oh, no, 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 no. But this is what she's basically saying. I want you to find that place of rest. I want you to find a good man. I want you to find a home. In Revelation 5, we were looking at this great scene in heaven where Jesus is depicted as a lamb as if slain but standing. And John sees him and the scroll is in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And the scroll represents the title deed. And when there's a universal search done for someone to open the scroll, look into it and break its seals, no one's found in heaven and earth and under the earth. And John begins to cry. He begins to weep. And one of the elders comes up to him and says, stop weeping, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome to open the scroll and to break its seals. And I mentioned to the crowd on, on Wednesday night, you may want to go back and look at this message, that our redemption is already, this is what theologians categorize it, it's already but not yet. We are saved. There's nothing that we can add to the finished work of Christ, but there's a not yet sense of our redemption. That is, we have not experienced the redemption of our bodies yet. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. This planet has not experienced its final redemption. It's going to be made new as well. This planet, personified in Romans 8, knows that when the sons of God are revealed in resurrection, it is going to get its makeover too. And so there's a not yetness, if you will, to our redemption. We are saved, but God hasn't done everything that he's going to do yet. But he's going to. And this is where these ladies find themselves. There's a promise. There's this great 
A man named Boaz, mother-in-law, has said to Ruth, you've hit the jackpot. He's a family member. He's rich. <laughs> Ricardo Montalban is what many people think he looks like, at least a few. Right? Good-looking, strapping, right mixture of gray in with the dark hair. No products back in the day, so it had to be natural. Right? And all of a sudden, things are looking up. And so what are these two ladies to do? Well, Ruth takes the initiative, or excuse me, Naomi takes the initiative. Ruth did in chapter two by going out to glean. But now Naomi says, now is, it, is not Boaz, verse two, chapter three, our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. You could see it in her eyes. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Right? I know where he's going to be tonight. This is the famous Jewish mom. I've got a wonderful plan for your life. All you got to do is listen and execute it and obey. I know where he's going to be at the threshing floor tonight. Now, a little time has gone by, and all of a sudden, the scene shifts to this threshing floor you might ask the question, what is a threshing floor? Man, I live in Corona. I don't know anything about threshing. Well, the threshing floor was a place where they would take the grain after they had harvested the grain and they would lay it on the ground and they, they would often have this threshing floor up on a hill and they would take animals or some sort of combination of animals with instruments and uh, when you read on the threshing floor, they say that they would take animals or they would take hammers, but more likely animals, and they would have a combination of something that would scrape itself over the grain. And it would begin to break up the grain, almost uh, separating the wheat from the chaff kind of thing. We'll talk about winnowing in a second. And some say that they, they would put little uh, kind of st uh, metal objects on the bottom. Some say it was nails that actually dragged across the grain. The word holy is an interesting word in the Bible. The word holy in the Hebrew picture language means that which comes out of the threshing floor. Think about that for a second. The only way that you can be holy is for God to separate the wheat from the chaff. And if you haven't noticed, that's what he's doing in your life. These women are good pictures of this process of threshing. Sometimes threshing feels like thrashing. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Sometimes we feel like we're that grain and the nails are going over us and we're like, <laughs> and then the winnowing process is interesting because they go in there with something like a pitchfork on the top of the hill in the afternoon breezes and they take the, what's been kind of uh, knocked around and they start throwing it up in the air. And the wind takes the lighter chaff away and the wheat falls back to the ground. This is the process of winnowing. And so this is what they would do. They would bring it in and then they begin to winnow it and they would begin to throw it up into the air. And I was talking to Dr. Green and he said he was at a uh, Messianic congregation recently and someone said, you know, the word for wind is ruach in Hebrew and the word Translators say you can either translate ruach as wind or spirit based on the context. Isn't it interesting that the, it's thrown up into the wind, which can also mean the spirit, and the spirit drives away all the garbage out of our lives. Can I get a witness? 
He separates the wheat from the chaff. He's in the process of sanctification. We are saved. We already have redemption, but God's not done with you yet. And sometimes he has to rake you and then winnow you. And some of you feel like you've got the nails dragged over you and you've been thrown up into the air and you're slammed back on the ground. And it's been hard. But that is the process by which God makes us holy. And all of this is set in the context of agriculture and harvesting and farming. For God is the Lord of the harvest. And if you want to experience the life of holiness, sometimes you have to be threshed. And it can be tough and winnowed. Interestingly enough, the scroll of Ruth is read in its entirety each year during the liturgy of the Feast of Weeks, which is what we know as Pentecost. The Hebrews call it Shavuot. 3,000 people came into the harvest that day as the Holy Spirit blew on the church. Think about it. Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, wait until you receive power from on high. And something like a, the sound of a rushing wind came into the room and something like tongues of fire appeared over the heads of the early church and they began to speak in other languages and they were proclaiming the glorious works of God Almighty and the Spirit blew on the church and 3,000 people through the preaching of, of Peter without even use of a megaphone came into the harvest. Are you with me? You see the imagery? The Bible has all these connections. All this is the work of the Spirit. Also, the word, uh, the name Ruth means friend. Uh, that's one of the things that you'll see when you look up Ruth's name, friend. And if you, uh, I haven't mentioned this much to you guys, but in Greek and Hebrew, you can have the idea of a chiasm. When you turn a word around, when you turn the word Ruth around, it spells Torah. Torah is our friend. Torah helps us hit the mark. Literally, the Torah was given, and, and Torah actually technically doesn't best translate as law. It's best translated as instruction. Now, we all fail to heed the instruction. The, the children of Israel, when they got the law at Mount Sinai, and the Jews believed that the law was given also at Pentecost, they said, everything he says we will do. Well, read the rest of your Bible. How did Israel do with that so-called promise that they made? Not so good. And that's why the Redeemer came, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And the Torah, if you will, helps lead us and guide us in the right direction. It's our friend, if you will, if we will follow it. And of course, the law does become a schoolmaster even to drive us to Christ. Look at verse 3. So Naomi continues to talk to Ruth and she says, I know where he's going to be tonight, so here's what you got to do. Wash yourself, verse 3, therefore. Anoint yourself. Get your perfume on, girl. That's a loose translation. <laughs> Put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. And I will say this, and I don't think we have any young ones in the group here, but this is some mature content. Um, go down to the threshing floor and but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Get dressed. Go down to where he is. Now, 
Oftentimes, women who were widows would wear mourning garments. They would wear the garments of mourning. They would not put on cosmetics and so forth. And they would go through a period of mourning where they would show that they were a widow. So the essence of this is that Naomi may be saying to Ruth now, it's time to change your attire. It's time to exchange the garments of mourning for normal life, if you will. It's time for you to go back out there. And, you know, those, those decisions can be hard for a lot of people when we lose somebody, especially if you've lost a spouse. And then you try to figure out, you know, how long do I mourn? And what should my mourning look like? And, and I'll just tell you this, there's no formula. But it was time for Ruth to get married again. It was time for her to move on. And she was going to exchange the ashes, if you will, for a mantle of praise, Isaiah 61, verse 3. Warren Wiersbe says, Christian living means that we take off the grave clothes of the old life and put on the grace clothes of the new life. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we walk in the victory that he has given us. We cleanse ourselves. Of course, the cleansing comes from him first, but... 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. In Psalm 51, David prayed, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." There are images here that tie to redemption. And even though she's getting ready, in essence, for a date night, this is tying to the idea of redemption. She's going to go to this kinsman redeemer, and she's going to ask him to marry her, which might seem a bit aggressive. It was definitely bold. It was risky. But she had to do this, and I'll explain why, because there was another nearer kinsman who was kind of waiting in the wings. And what happened was when Ruth made this bold approach, kind of sped up the process. This other kinsman redeemer now would have to decide whether or not he was going to redeem her or not. And so all of this is coming to the threshing floor, that great image that we've seen that connects many of these beautiful things. She goes on, she says, it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. They would often sleep at the threshing floor to guard their crops and their grain. And because of the working hours, they would winnow at night and they would wake up early in the morning. So they just kind of, they would have a little bit of dinner and some celebration and then they would just stay there. She says, notice where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down and then he will tell you what you shall do. So let me get this straight. Let's put this in modern vernacular. Imagine that your mother-in-law tells you, follow him home. <laughs> Try to find an open door or window. <laughs> Go where he's sleeping and remove the blanket from his feet. How's that sound? Oh, wonderful. That's, that's a great plan. That's how you get arrested for stalking. What, what exactly is this plan? And by the way, I don't know about you, but I have issues when people try to take the blanket off my feet. How many of you are blanket snobs? 
Go ahead and just confess it. It's all right. It's good for the soul. Sometimes there's a battle at night for blanket supremacy with not only the spouse, but with animals as well. They come in. How many of you remember? Oh, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. Oh, I was going to quote a movie line, but never mind. Uncover his feet. You say, well, what, what in the world? What do you mean uncover his feet? Well, it's interesting, in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, t- take a look for a second. It's now, it says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel, 4-7, concerning the redemption and exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. And so the closest relative, relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. This was a custom back in the day. You know, you can read some commentaries on this and, and they'll, they'll try to imply that there was some, maybe uh, uh, she was trying to seduce him and so forth. That's not what's going on here. The, these are noble people who follow Torah. There is nothing wrong about this scene, but it is the cultural norm to do this kind of thing. And so she's told, this is what you're going to do. It's a symbolic gesture in the culture, inviting Boaz to take her as a wife. She had put herself at his feet. Remember when he was first kind to her in chapter uh, 2, she bowed at his feet. I think of Mary in Luke 10, who sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. It's a symbol of, I will submit to you as a wife. Just let me know if you would like me as your wife. And so she said, chapter 3, verse 5, all that you say I will do. Sounds reminiscent of what the people said at Sinai. All that he has said we will do. And so she went down, verse 6, chapter 3, to the threshing floor. I'm sure she had, a little, had to have a little nervous anticipation as she went down. And did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry... Remember the time of festival was a time of rejoicing. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now the uncovering of the feet on probably a cold spring night also would probably get his attention. All of a sudden you notice you don't have all of your blankie. That troubles me at night. I like to be covered. (laughs) I'm just that... I just find comfort in that. I don't know. I have a blanket from when I was two. I still have it. No, I'm just kidding. I really don't. Anyway. (laughs) That was just for the video, folks. Anyway. Yeah. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled. And so you can imagine. And, And remember, he likes her. So... You know, he, he, they've had a, a big work day and they've had a, a nice dinner and they've, you know, enjoyed the time of the festival and all of a sudden he sleeps, but he notices his feet are a little cold. <laughs> yeah. And so in the middle of the night, the man, he was startled and he bent forward probably to fix his blankie and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Now, you could imagine that, you know, 
I'm sure startled is a pretty good word, right? But I would imagine also that this woman, Ruth, has been on his mind and heart probably every day. Because we all know that when we first have the prospects of a relationship and it's new and exciting, all you can think about is that person. Even when you're in class, you're just drawing hearts on your paper. <laughs> and you write his name down. Oh, he's, he's my champion, my hero. Right? Some of you are trying to remember those times. Some of you are right. Smack dab in the middle of those times. Some of you have been writing his name during my preaching. Which upsets me. No, it's all right. <laughs> But love is a magical thing. It can be, right? And so I'm sure he was thinking about her. Can you imagine him waking up, rubbing his eyes, behold a woman at his feet, and it's the woman of his dreams. Not too bad. <laughs> anyway. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. So spread your covering over your maid." For you are a close relative. ESV says you are a redeemer. NIV says you're a kinsman redeemer. Spread your garment over me. Interestingly enough, uh, take a look at chapter two uh, for a moment. Boaz said these words in chapter two, verse 12. When he first encountered Ruth, he said, May the Lord reward your work, 2.12, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. You know, oftentimes when the gospel is proclaimed and people experience the love of Christ, one of the first things that they experience is the love of God's people. The Bible says love covers what? A multitude of sins. Love, literally, here's how you could translate this verse, throws the blanket over people's faults, um, idiosyncrasies, shortcomings, rough edges, you name it. We don't have to broadcast everybody's issues. We all have issues, amen? amen. Love throws the blanket on. If you're gonna have a good marriage, you're gonna have to learn to throw the blanket on stuff. Can I get a witness? Love covers. We don't have to focus on everybody's weaknesses. We, we all know what our weaknesses are. Now, I'm not talking about overt sin where someone won't repent of sin. I'm talking about everyday life where people make mistakes and we have to try to give the same forgiveness that we've received from the Lord. And I know it can be hard in some cases. So here is the woman of his dreams and she's asking for him to spread his covering over her or his mantle. This would be a symbolic act where she's saying, will you marry me? In 1 Kings 19.19, 19, to put the mantle over someone is to claim them for yourself. It is a marriage proposal. It is saying, will you marry me? There's always an interesting moment when someone proposes, and of course, the traditional way is a man proposes to a woman. And guys always want to make sure that the answer is going to be yes. Have you ever seen a, a time where a marriage proposal is given and the woman says, uh, whenever there's any hesitation, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> this, this may not go well. How many of you have seen people who do it on the stadium uh, screen? 
And he gets down on his knee and presents the ring. And if she says no, that's a bit of shame fame that I wouldn't be looking for. But anyway, I mean, she's risked everything. She has an idea that he's interested, but does she really know for sure? In Ezekiel 16, 8, God, who is the Goel of his people, the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer of his people, says, Ezekiel 16, 8, when I passed by you again, I saw you. Behold, you were at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment. Literally, this could be translated, I spread my wing or the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Ezekiel 16, verse 8. So he responds, he says, verse 10, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. He calls her that because she's younger. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after younger men or young men, whether poor or rich. You have shown your hesed to me, your kindness, your loving kindness to me, and you were kind to your mother-in-law and you followed her in difficult circumstances and that was your first kindness and that spoke of your noble character but now your second kindness is even more exciting to me because instead of going for younger men and you had options, you came here tonight. And she did have options. And by the way, her options in Bethlehem would have been a younger man, but a younger man potentially, but there were only a couple of men who could redeem her, but not just her, Naomi as well. You see, Ruth is thinking wider than just herself, and that's what love does. She's seeking the redemption of not only herself, but an heir, and chapter four will show us that an heir is gonna come from this relationship by which that heir will be put into Naomi's family line, and this is the way it worked in Israel, and redemption will take place. It's an act of sacrifice. Love is, by virtue of what it means in the Bible, love is sacrificial. Love sacrifices. Whenever you're in a relationship with anybody, you find that out that love is going to demand on you some of the greatest sacrifices that you'll be asked to make in your life. Um, there's a university president some years ago. They were playing uh, this. Uh, there was uh, rebroadcast on Family Life, and he was a very well well-to-do, uh, big university president. I don't remember the school, but his wife got ill, and she wasn't doing well. And so he had to resign from the college and he had served, you know, with distinction and he read this letter in front of the faculty and the students and he basically said, my wife is going through difficulty. She's not, she's sick. And the only time she's relatively happy is when I'm in the room with her. And I made a commitment, I made a vow that I would love her in sickness and in health. I would love her through good times and bad till death do we part? And then he said, you know what? What I'm saying to you is nothing noble. This is what I committed to. And she has supported me over 30 years of being in education. She has been by my side and now I'm gonna be by her side. And whether it's 10 years or 30 years or even more, he said, I could never pay her back for what she's done for me. That is love. That's what love does. Love is willing to blanket and cover. And it's something we have to learn. It's the love of God. And so he says, my daughter, 
Verse 11, don't fear. Fear not, says the King James. Jesus often said that to his own followers. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. A woman of excellence means strength or nobility. Proverbs 12, 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is as rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 31, 10, a chapter that troubles many women, <laughs> says, An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Proverbs 31, 10, an excellent wife is what I have on the front row right here. And she is an awesome lady. An excellent wife who can find, I found her. <laughs> Do you know in the Hebrew Bible, in the order of the books in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth follows Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is the last chapter of the book of Proverbs. And the book of Ruth answers the question, an excellent wife who can find? Boaz found her. She is the answer to the question. And she's a Moabite woman. She doesn't come from the line of promise the line of Israel, but she's grafted in and she's a woman of noble character. And I pray that you are as well. And now it is true. He says, I am a close relative. I am a kinsman. However, he's about to drop the bomb here. There is a relative closer than I. He says, look, I'll do what you ask, but I have some news for you. There's a, there's a kin that's closer than me and there's a snag in this particular opportunity here of proposal, we have to find out if he wants to redeem you first. There's a little snag, little difficulty. There's another man that is potentially here in this scene between you and me. And technically, we would say in modern language, he has first dibs. This is the way it worked. And so he assures her, he says, remain this night when morning comes. If he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, that's, a, that's an oath. When you say, as the Lord lives, he's making an oath. He says, lie down until morning. Again, nothing inappropriate. He just wants her to be safe. And so he just says, just stay. And the redemption will take place one way or, the, or another. And so she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that a the woman came to the threshing floor. They want everything to be on the up and up, discreet and so forth. And so all was discreet. All was in proper bounds. There's no misconduct here, but she's going to leave, you know, before early light or just about that time to make sure that there's no issue. And again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it out, held it. And he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. So he wants to, he wants to give her a gift. And of course, you know, they have, the, uh, Ruth and Naomi have not been doing great. So he wants to supply their need. The gift was an act of love. And it was, it was kind of a symbolic act as well. The number six is, think about it. We always say the number seven is the number of what? Completion or perfection. So what's the number six? Just short of perfection. It's the number of man. It's not complete yet. Six measures. Some people argue, you know, what was the measure? We don't know for sure, but probably what's called a C, which means that Ruth was pretty strong. She probably had to pull about 60 pounds back home. I don't know how far home was, but when she came to her mother-in-law, she, she had the gift and she said, 
So here's, here's matchmaker now, right? She's asking, how did it go, my daughter? ESV says, how did you fare? Uh, tell me all about it. I think you ladies know more about this than us guys do. Okay, you, you go out on a date and you ladies get together for coffee. Oh, tell me all about it. How did he dress? What did he say? You heard the comedian. He says, uh, he tells his wife, you know, I'm going to go out golfing with, with Ralph. And she goes, oh, oh, wonderful, honey. You know, Ralph and Susie have been having problems. And it's good that you spend time with him. Go ahead, go golfing. Okay, so he goes golfing with Ralph. And he comes back. And the first thing the wife asks him is, so how's Ralph doing? And he goes, all right. He goes, well, well, how are things with their marriage? He goes, I don't know. She said, you just spent four hours with him on the golf course. What did you talk about? Golf. <laughs> it goes pretty much like this, just so you ladies are in the loop. Somebody hits a shot, and we say something like this. Nice ball. <laughs> or nice shot. And then if someone hits one sideways, we go... Oh, not so good. No bueno. And if someone hits one really sideways, we go, oh, Lord, don't let it break anything. And if we hear the crashing of glass, we run. Just, no, we don't. We don't. <laughs> now, some of you have the New King James where it says, is that you, my daughter? And, and some of you may be asking, what, what, she doesn't know the person she lives with? Well, I think she's saying something like this. Are you still Ruth the Moabitess? Or are you, are, are you a prospective Miss, Mrs. Boaz? Something like this. Should we start making the wedding plans and printing the invitations? What's what here? What did he say? And so she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six measures, 17 of barley, he gave to me. For he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You know, uh, when Naomi came back into Bethlehem, she said, I left full and came back what? I came back empty. But when we come to know our kinsman redeemer, he says, I will give you life and that more abundantly. I'll give you full life. And so this is a, a beautiful picture of Christ's pouring his, the bread of life in Bethlehem into our lives to make us full. And so Boaz promises effectively to banish the women's emptiness. The ultimate kinsman redeemer promises to banish our emptiness and to bring us into his harvest. And so she said, verse eight, 18, final verse, she said, wait or sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Now she probably shared, you know, he mentioned that there's this other guy and he's got to find out what's going to happen here. And so, you know, Tom Petty sang it well. The waiting is the hardest part. That's how Tom Petty sings, just so you know. <laughs> Did you like it? I mean, that's either Bob Dylan or Tom Petty. Anyway, <laughs> we'll move on. How many of you have issues with waiting? Anybody? Oh, okay, I, I'm not alone. Grocery lines, 
I try to be nice at grocery lines, but something secretly inside me says, I pray that one of those cashiers that's just been looming somewhere behind the cereal will pop up and say, oh, come over here. But I find another law working in the members of my body. <laughs> it's the spirit. And even though I'm not always thinking it, something always comes out and I say, go ahead, it's fine, go ahead. But often when I do that, I have a chance to talk to people and even invite them and it's cool. Waiting is hard, but she's told, he won't rest until you are at rest. Look at 18. He won't rest until the matter is settled. He is going to take care of it and you're just gonna have to wait the day and this probably would be the longest day of both of their lives. Waiting to find out what's going to happen can be so hard in so many areas of life. The Lord says, be still and know that I am God. She says, sit tight and you will know soon how this is going to happen. Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to me. Don't fight me. Don't run from me. Come to me. Father, as we think about this great story of redemption, the kinsman redeemer and all the beautiful imagery, it's so just true to life. The, these stories are just so real and they are real. They, they point us on many levels. There's practicality here. There's stuff about just life and how it goes, but there's also just reach, rich, deep spiritual significance here, Lord, about a kinsman redeemer who is the bread of life who will always satisfy the inner, the deepest desires in, of our souls. And Lord, that is to know you. And you didn't rest until you paid our redemption. You said it is finished in the garden. You were vexed with the possibilities. You recoiled from the cross, yet you finished what you started for us. And you're a God who finishes what you start. He who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. Lord, we're gonna turn to your table we're going to remember the matzah. We're going to remember the juice, the wine. And we're going to remember that this goes much deeper. The matzah represents the innocent lamb. The juice represents his shed innocent blood for us to redeem us, to buy us, to cover us, to cleanse us, to say to us, will you marry me? Thank you that we are the bride of Christ. And you have loved us with an everlasting love. And as we come to this table, we want to remember how much you loved us. You loved us perfectly. And as we partake of these symbols, Lord, we do want to go deeper with you. We want to trust you more, rest in you more, and live out our faith in active ways to tell other people about the good news of the bread of life. I pray your blessing on these precious people, Lord. You know where each one of them are at spiritually and otherwise, and I pray you'll touch them, minister to them, strengthen them in every way. And I pray that in Jesus' holy name. Amen.